All right, if you have a Bible, um, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'd appreciate that. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those and follow along with us. And if you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible and would like one, that Bible in the pew rack is our gift to you. We want everyone to be able to have the Word of God. Don't just trust, uh, take my word for it, but uh, test everything from the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we'll be. Uh, today, we are participating in the Lord's Supper. You see the table uh, before me set and ready to go. Um, and, and we thought it would be necessary and, and probably a good thing for us to, uh, to talk about it from a biblical standpoint and, uh, and to look and see what, what does the Bible instruct regarding the Lord's Supper. And, and for us as a church, to not take it for granted. I think there are times in our life we've, we've had the instruction, we know what it means, but this refresher course may help us and help us uh, be a little more self-reflective about it. Uh, for some of us who may be here today, you maybe really don't understand it or don't know why we do this or why we participate in the Lord's Supper. So uh, it'll be an informational thing for you as well and just uh, an encouragement uh, for you to, to learn from God's Word in, in regards to this. So uh, it is, after all, one of the two ordinances of the church. It's baptism and the Lord's Supper. And, and Jesus instituted this. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read 17 through 34. Uh, and then I'm going to read one more passage from Matthew where uh, Jesus is actually at the Last Supper. You guys remember the painting, The Last Supper, right? This, this Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples was pretty important. And, uh, and as he went through the, the different uh, elements of the meal, eventually he got to uh, the bread and the cup and, uh, and shared what he shared with the disciples during that time. And that is meaning, meaningful for us as well. So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we'll begin at verse 17. So now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. But when you come together, then, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another one gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats, the, uh, eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. 
If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about other matters whenever I come. This is the Word of God. So we look at this text, and this is the instruction from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Uh, the church at Corinth uh, could be considered the church gone wild. And, uh, and there were a lot of corrections in that uh, he had to make to the church at Corinth and, and to get them back in line with doctrine and Scripture. And we're going to talk about some of the things that are in this text today. Uh, but I also want to look at this. You think about the Apostle Paul. Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. In fact, Paul came on the scene after the Lord Jesus had died, had risen from the grave, and ascended into heaven. And Paul was a persecutor. He's named Saul. He's a persecutor of the church. And he went out to, to ravage and to, to, to take, take hold of the church and, and to erase the church. He was, he was a zealot. He was, he was a, a full-on Jewish man who loved every custom of the Jewish religion and, and who, who loved supposedly God, but would not accept God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. Well, the Lord Jesus, after he had ascended into heaven, did, in fact, appear to the Apostle Paul and kind of beat him up a little bit. And, and, and Paul learned a lesson that day and learned that Jesus was the Lord and that he had to worship and serve him. And from that day on, he changed his name from Saul, the Lord did, to Paul. And he went out as a, not a persecutor of the church anymore, but as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, an apostle who had been with the Lord Jesus Christ. He had appeared to him. And, and so Paul is reiterating to the Corinthian church, this is what I received from the Lord. This instruction was from the Lord. And I passed it on to you. So it's important that you know this is from the Lord. The Lord is who instituted this, the Lord's Supper. And we can see that uh, in the early church. They, they understood that because at the Last Supper, this happened as well. So if you want to, turn, you keep your ribbon here, your finger here. But turn to Matthew chapter 26. <clears throat> We're going to see a little scene here from the Last Supper. And again, although Paul is instructing the church here on the Lord's Supper, it was received from the Lord. It is the Lord who instituted the Lord's Supper, a supper of remembrance. So in Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29, here's what the word says. As they were eating, let's stop there. They're eating the Passover meal. They're going through the, the Jewish, this, this, the Seder dinner, right? The, the festival, a feast of unleavened bread. And, and they're going through the, the and recounting the deliverance of God over the Israelites out of Egypt. And as the Lord passed over those who had blood, remember on the doorpost, we'll look at that in a moment. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. That was not part of their Jewish Passover, by the way. That was a little off script for Jesus. But Jesus understood that he was the Passover lamb. He is the Passover lamb. And he says, take this and eat it, it is my body. And then he took the cup after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He goes on. He says, I tell you, I will not drink from its fruit or from the fruit of this vine from now until the day that, uh, when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Why was this called the Last Supper? Because it was Jesus' Last Supper. But for you and I, for the church, for the followers of Christ, it was the first supper, the first Lord's Supper, a day of remembrance. He said, I do this in remembrance of me. The other gospels record that as well. He said, I want you to remember. I want something to be uh, on, the, on the top of your mind to understand exactly uh, what I'm about to do and the meaning of, of it. 
So what, what is it that we were supposed to remember? What is it that we are supposed to do? When the Lord has instituted uh, the Lord's Supper, how, how do you and I now come underneath that authority? And how do you and I partake of the Lord's Supper together? Well, number one, and this is in your notes. If you have a bulletin, there's a, a, a note sheet there and discussion guide on the back. Number one, in partaking of the Lord's Supper, we remember how Jesus loves you. Remember how Jesus loves you. And I emphasize the how, and I would, I would encourage you to circle it or underline it and bold it, whatever you need to do to understand how. And here's why. Humanity has cheapened love. And humanity has cheapened love and, and defined it, kind of redefined it, as more as a permissiveness from one person to another. In fact, this is what humanity would say. You would love me best if you just let me do what I want to do. You would love me best if you would just not speak up and not say something against me, and, and, and you'd love me best by just being passive. Just don't you love me? Let, let, just love me the way I am. And that is not the definition of love. So here's something to, to grasp as we move forward here. You and I have to understand as we come to the Lord's table, that it is a remembrance that not just Jesus loves me, this I know, but it is a remembrance of the way that Jesus had to love us. That he had to offer himself, his body and his blood shed for you and for me. That's how he loved you. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let's not, let's not bring this down lower than it is. Let's not make it something that's just permissive and passive. That, hey, Jesus loves you. There's all kinds of false theology out there that says, hey, love, love wins. God's love is so great it just wins. Everyone will be under God's love. God loves everyone. And we're going to see in a minute how he loved them and what, what he gave them the opportunity to have. And that would be eternal life through him. He didn't say, I love you, go do whatever you want, and I'll see you at the end. He said, there is an end to you because of your sin, and I'm going to love you in a way that will take care of that if you would respond to me. Isn't that what the Lord's Supper is? Isn't it a response from you and I <clears throat> to the Lord Jesus? This is not a flippant thing we do. This is not a, hey, we're all passing the juice out and crackers today. It's going to be great. Here we go again. That is not what this is. Oh, Jesus loves us, and I'm going to take the bread and juice. That's not what this is. This is an opportunity for you and I to respond from our heart in faith to the Lord Jesus for what He has done and how He has loved us. How He has loved us. What did Paul say? If you're back in the text in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm going to bounce around here, so get ready to find the verses. 20, uh, 23 to 25. What did Paul say? Paul said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. We're getting a glimpse here of how he loved us, right? He loves you. It's for you. What is for you? His body. And this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. But we are to be in remembrance of how Jesus loved us. For you, how he loved you. Verse 29, he goes on. He's saying, listen, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So for you and I to approach the Lord's table and say, I, I'm not thinking about Jesus' body. I'm not thinking about Jesus' spilt blood for me. It's, it's just crackers and juice. No big deal. It's something we do as a, as a church, as a, as a so-called Christian. You're bringing judgment upon yourself. 
That this is not what we do. We, we approach reverently the Lord Jesus and His offering, remembering that He had to sacrifice His body and spill His blood in order for you and I to even have a chance. So He institutes the Lord's Supper and He tells His followers, pay close attention and remember what is about to take place. And, and then it's been passed on since then. And, the Lord, and, and Paul continues to teach and say, this has been passed on to, from the Lord to me and me to you to continue to observe and continue to do this in remembrance of what he has done. There's a problem, though. There's a problem in the way that we often approach the Lord. So today, as we, as we think through this, as you reflect on this personally, individually in your heart, I want you to, to think about, do you have this problem? Do I have this problem? See, we tend to approach the Lord with too much religion, with too much tradition, too many preconceived notions about what this is or what this might not be. We approach Him with too much religion. And in, in approaching Him with too much religion, we don't approach Him with enough relational reflection and reverence. The response to the Lord's Supper should be a response from our hearts to all that Jesus is and all that He has done for us. It's about responding to what the Lord has done. It's a remembrance so, so the question is, what was being remembered by the disciples at Passover? What was being remembered? That this is the Passover meal that they ate together. They came and remembered. Uh, anyone know what they were remembering? The Passover? Remember when Egypt uh, had all of Israel captive and Moses went to, went to Pharaoh? And what, do you, what do you say? Let my people go. Right? I think it's the, one of the movies said it that way. Let my people go, right? And, and Pharaoh said, No. Right? There's hardness of heart happened there. I'm not going to let your people go. So Moses kept going back saying, listen, these are not your people. These are God's people. You let them go. And he wouldn't. His heart was hardened. He said, I'm going to harden my heart against God. And God hardened his heart. And he continued to refuse and say no. So what did God do? Well, there's judgment brought against him. Right? All these plagues came and, and people died. And there's inconveniences all around. Frogs everywhere and grasshoppers eating everything. And it was, no, it was not pleasant. But he still said, no, I'm not going to let Israelites go. I mean, they're the way that we build the society. They're, they're our slaves. We don't want to be without them. Then we'd have to do the hard work. Whatever was on his mind, he hardened his heart and said, no. You remember what the Lord finally did, though? He said, fine. I'm going to bring about something real big. I'm going to go and I'm going to kill all the firstborns in all of the families. And he told Moses and Aaron, he said, this is what you're to tell the people. Tell Israel this. If you want to be safe, you're, you're to prepare an unblemished lamb. You're to eat it together. You're to take the blood spilled from that unblemished lamb. You're to take that blood and you're to put it on the, the doorpost and lentils of the, of the uh, door frame around your home. You're to sit in there and the Lord, as he comes with the death angel, will strike the firstborn dead in every family, but he will pass over every home that is covered by the blood. Amen? That's something worth remembering. That has to be remembered. So as they're sitting there at the Passover meal, they knew that there had to be deliverance from God from judgment. That's what they understood. They knew that. That's why they were celebrating Passover. And they were getting ready to celebrate the cup and the blood and, and the doorpost. And, and Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. Pay close attention to what is about to happen. I'm the fulfillment. I am the Passover lamb that is going to take away the sins of the world. A brief, a brief thing, you can look at Exodus 12 later on. In Exodus 12, 11 through 14, it says this. This is how you must eat it. 
You must be dressed and ready to travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. This is the Lord's Passover. So there's a readiness. They need to be ready for whatever God was calling them to do. And then, then it talks about in verse 12, the judgment that was there. He says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the little g gods of Egypt. He's God, right? You don't mess around with God. God is God. Let's, and, and I think this is, this is important. At Passover, when he instituted Passover to Moses, I think this is very much what he was saying. You better take me seriously. And if he says that to us, the conviction in, on my heart at least is, Brandon, maybe you don't take me seriously enough. And that should be probably the question for all of us, shouldn't it? Am I taking the Lord seriously? Is there seriousness in my heart about who the Lord is and that there is actually judgment from God against sin? So much so that we see it, that he judged and allowed the wrath of God, Jesus allowed the wrath of God to be poured out on him for you and for me. God says, I want you to take this seriously. I want you to take me seriously. I am the judge. I am the God of the universe. I will execute judgment. So there's judgment. And so what are the apostles who are celebrating the Passover remembering? That there's judgment. But what? But God has provided deliverance. Verse 13 says, the blood on the houses. So I'm going to come. The death angel is going to come and take the firstborn everywhere. But the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. There's deliverance. What, what did the disciples knew? What, no, what, what were they experiencing at that Passover? They were reflecting on and remembering. They were called actually by Moses to do on this day, it says in verse 14, will be a memorial for you, this Passover day, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statue. This is why they were having Passover meal together in the upper room. Because it was a memorial. It was a time of remembrance, reflecting on the way that God had loved Israel and how God had delivered Israel through the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus says, get ready. Because this is more about my body and my blood. I'm the Passover lamb. So we remember how Jesus loves us. We remember. It's to be a remembrance. Alistair read it this morning in Psalm 111. God has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. What are we remembering? The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The works of his hands are truth and justice all his instructions are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever, enacted in truth and in uprightness. This is God of the universe. He's upright and true and trustworthy. And he has set redemption. Redemption. This is that fixing and resolving that broken relationship. He's restoring. He says, I, I want to make it right what, what has been made wrong by sin. He has set redemption to his people. He has, a, he has ordained his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe-inspiring. Oh, he loves us, doesn't he? And we're to remember that. It's to be a remembrance. And so as we approach the Lord's table, here's what it's not about. We approach the Lord's table today. It's not about appeasing God. It's like, oh, God will be happy with me if I partake of the Lord's Supper and my life will go great as I go out the doors. That's not about, it's not it. Not about appeasing God. 
It's not about looking good in front of others. This is not about that. You know, we, we talked about the Sermon on the Mount recently. We started going through that in our, one of our series, right? And remember, the practice, practicing righteousness, if we're to be good, righteous citizens of the kingdom of heaven, practicing righteousness begins in secret. You remember that? And we meet our Heavenly Father in secret, and He rewards in secret. It's from the secret that we act. So when we approach the Lord's table, it's not, we're not approaching it to appease God. We're not approaching it uh, to, to look a certain way in front of others. It is really about knowing how great God is and how helpless you and I are without Him. It is not, it is not just knowing that, oh, God loves me, but it's knowing how He loves you. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. I just want to take a ride on our way back machine and go way back. I want to share with you the, the, the overarching picture of this, this amazing message of how God loved. You see, God in the very beginning created, first of all, God in the very beginning existed eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then God created the heavens and the earth, and He created you. And he created me. He created mankind. He created us in His image. He breathed the life of Himself into us that we would be objects of His affection and that He would be our greatest object of our affection. That's how He created us. He created us that way. and He created us for relationship with Him. That we would walk with Him. And Remember, Adam and Eve were walking in the garden with God. They talked with Him. They had, they had fellowship with Him. They had everything they needed there because God had provided for them. But then Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were tempted, and, and Satan tempted them to, to say, did God really say, can you really trust God? Shouldn't you trust yourself more? In fact, you should be God. And they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, their eyes were open, and they knew they had sinned against God, and they, they knew that they were now sinful. And they were separated from God. God kicked them out and banished them from his presence because God is perfect and holy, and, God can, and we cannot be in the presence, as fallible as we are, in the presence of a perfect and holy God. So they were banished. They were separated from God. And, and those two who were, who, who, who were born and, and, or who were created by God and who were going to live forever were eternal, immortal human beings. Not only were separated from the presence of God, but their bodies began to decay and they would experience physical death. That's, that's not only physical death, but separation from God is spiritual death. You see, our sins separate us from God. And, and the truth is not just that Adam and Eve messed up. It's that everyone since Adam and Eve has messed up. As good as we think we are in comparing ourselves to other people, we have still missed the mark of perfection that God requires of us. Like, well, that's, that's impossible. We, he's he's got to let us in. And this is what we try. We think, if I do a lot of good and make up for all the bad in my life, and we have this little scale effect going on, I'm going to do more good than bad, and it's going to outweigh. And God's going to look at that and say, wow, look at you go. You, you certainly have outdone yourself. Way to go, you. That's what we hope for. That's what most of the world spends their lives trying to achieve. And, and the, the interesting thing is when we bring this scale to God and, we, he, and we're like, hey, look at all this good, look at all this good. He's like, but look at all that bad. You see, you might have outweighed the bad, but you never ever erased the bad. There's a reason we see the language of Scripture is like a washing away of sin. Right, erasing and separating our sins as far uh, from us as the east is from the west. This is the language we see when we are forgiven in Christ because he doesn't just overlook your sin. He doesn't just say, well, I'm going to put more good than bad. He says, I'm going to erase your sin. I'm going to take your sin and move it as far as the east is from the west because sin 
cannot be erased by good deeds. You can do all the good deeds you want. You can take communion as many times as you think you want and in a flippant manner of pride, when you stand before God, He will not accept your righteousness. He will not accept your trying. He only accepts what was accomplished finally and fully by His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for you. How do I get that? Our sins can't be removed by good deeds, right? So paying the price for my sin and for your sin, Jesus died on a cross. And He rose victoriously afterward, conquering death, saying, you thought I would die and stay dead, but I rose again because I'm actually God in the flesh. And you can't beat me, Satan. Satan has no power over Jesus. He couldn't hold him. Death could not hold the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died for you as God in the flesh and he rose victoriously because he's God. So that everyone who believes in him and puts their faith in him will be forgiven and have eternal life. That's, that's the beauty. That's the message, right? Every, and and that, that means life in eternity with Jesus. That's the hope we should have, right? It's not about this little temporal life. This, this is a blip on the radar. So if you're trying to hold on to your life now and say, well, I'm still a good person. I'll try it out. I'll figure it out. You will not. This, this reveals how deep of a need you and I have. Amen? The body and blood of Jesus Christ was, was given and spilled for you. And it had to be because you and I could not do it on our own. Who says, believe, trust in me. Trust in me and you'll have life, eternal life. I'll forgive you. It'll be wiped clean. So when you stand before God one day and you, having trusted in Jesus, you won't, he won't see any of your sin. All he'll see is a righteousness of Jesus Christ wrapped up around you because he is good enough. Because that's how he loves you. So put your faith in him. There's a passage of scripture in John chapter 3. We, we think about John 3.16 all the time. And I, I love the language that it says through the CSB translation. But let me, let me read you a, a little wider uh, part of this passage. John 3, beginning in verse 14. So just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so, that, so, so the Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross, right? So that everyone who believes in Him, everyone who believes in Him, He's going to be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. And here's John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. That's a proper translation. We think, oh, for God so loved the world that He gave His own. It's true. But this is how He loved the world, right? God loved the world in this way. This is how He loved you. This is how He loved me. That He gave His one and only Son, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Say, you're so bad, you're so bad. We, we already stand condemned, right? But to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. He doesn't have to come in and say, oh, I condemn you, I condemn you. We are already condemned. There's not one good, no, not one, Scripture says. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're already condemned. We're already under God's judgment. But God in His infinite love for us is providing deliverance through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. If you are responding to the light with like, oh, I don't want that. No, stop talking about this Jesus stuff. Stop saying I'm bad. You are loving the darkness rather than the light. But this is how he loves us. So my question to you 
as we approach the Lord's table, as we're here today, as we look at the gospel, the glory of God, as we look at this beautiful majesty of the way God loved us through His Son, Jesus Christ, my question is, have you, have you turned to Him for rescue? Have you trusted in Him in faith to forgive your sin? Have you stopped trying on your own to achieve a righteousness that you will never, ever be able to achieve? And have you embraced His righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I'd say do it today. God is, God is pleading with you through me, through the Word of God today to be reconciled to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, because He loves you. For the rest of us who have, we remember. We remember when we partake and we approach the Lord's table, we remember how God loves us and how He loved us through His body and blood being given for now as we move on and look at the instruction Paul gave in partaking of the Lord's Supper, number two, we see this, that it must be done in a worthy manner. It must be done in a worthy manner. If you look back with me at 1 Corinthians 11, look at verses 27 and following. You just got done saying, this is what the Lord passed on to me. This is how we're to do it. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty, that's pretty big, isn't it? We should probably really reflect on that and say, I, I don't want to have this judgment on me as I partake in the Lord's Supper. I don't want to have this judgment be because I'm, I'm flippantly doing this or not in a worthy manner. And so a couple things I want to point out. There's, there's probably more to this than we could unpack, but I want to unpack several of these things for you uh, kind of in two categories. One is uh, a worthy manner is about self-reflection. Look at what it says next here in the text. text. Verse 28. He says, you know, don't, don't do this unworthy manner, so let each person, or let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the, eat the bread and drink the cup. We need to examine ourselves. And I, I, would, I would argue this, that our examination of ourselves has to come from what we just learned about the gospel. We examine ourselves and say, am I doing this out of remembrance of how God loves me? Am I doing this out of remembrance of all He had to do in order to save me. That's a way to self-examine our own heart. When we approach the Lord's table, when we partake of it together later, am I doing this as a, as a remembrance or am I doing it out of religion? Am I doing it out of obligation? Am I doing it because my neighbor is doing it and I don't want to be embarrassed to not take a cup? Those are wrong ways to do it. Am I, am I sitting there so excited to get this little piece of cracker and a little grape juice because Brandon's talking so long and I'm hungry? That's not the way to do it. Some, some people would say like, well, man, can we get some different bread? That bread was horrible. That was so stale. Yeah. Do you think Jesus had a great time and a great you know, time on the cross? The, the, the wine he had tasted was a little sour probably, right? I think the cross of Christ should leave a sourness and a staleness in our heart. It should be a reminder of, of, the, of the horrible, bitter thing that Jesus had to go through for you and I. I say bring and serve the most stale one. Like if it's if it's date says 2020 expires, that's not not long enough. Let's wait wait on that one. We'll serve that one in a couple years. Because we really need to reflect on the depth of what Christ has done for us. So self-examination, right? Self-reflection. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And, it's, and it said, Paul said, this is why some of you are sick and dying. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm just reading the text. I report. You decide. I'm just, it's what it says. 
because you're doing it in an unworthy manner, there are, there are health consequences to this. Judgment, God is disciplining his children because you're not doing it in a worthy manner. I don't know what that discipline might look like for you today or for me, but we ought to do it in a worthy manner so we avoid that judgment from God. We do it in a worthy manner. So how are you approaching this table? Are you, are you approaching it in humble, relational, reflective reverence? Let me say that again. There's a lot of words. We ought to approach this Lord's table in humble, relational, reflective reverence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, where, that's how we approach the Lord's table. Or, or we approach it in religious obligation or out of pride and say, look, I could take the Lord's Supper because I'm so good. No, you are not. He goes on, uh, and there's another, another way to think about this in a worthy manner. It's in unity. It's about unity, right? So in, in verse uh, 17, I want to just show you a couple of spots here throughout the text. He says, um, and talk about the unity. This is about the body of Christ, the church, getting together and participating together in unity around the Lord's table. What does that unity mean? It means that we come together as the body of Christ. You know, I think some people have, have this thought of, well, we, we'll do the Lord's Supper at dinner tonight with, as a family. Okay, but that's not what we see here. We actually see the opposite of that, don't we? So what do we see? He says, now give me this instruction. I don't praise you since you come together. So this is a praise, like you're coming together. The church, that's what, isn't that what we do? Right? Every, on Sunday mornings, what do we do? We come together. He says, not for the better, but for the worse. And he goes on in verse 18. Um, I hear when you come together that there are divisions. Like, so the coming together, this unity is really super important. Uh, and he goes on and says in verse 20, when you come together then, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? Like you're, you're doing this in, in factions or in divisions and, and you're, 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 some are eating a lot, some are eating a little or not at all. This is wrong. He said you come together, it's to eat the Lord's Supper. Here's what I would tell you. When, when the church comes together, these are the people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of their, and forgiveness of their sins. They, they understand just what Jesus did for them and say, we are called, we who have been saved by Jesus through faith in Christ alone, have been called to come together and to partake together in the Lord's Supper. He, he even mentioned it. He, Paul calls it the Lord's Supper. When you come together, then isn't it not to eat the Lord's Supper? And he, then he differentiates it going on. He differentiates it for, uh, in verse 21, uh, at the meal, each one uh, eats his own supper. So one person is hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Like this is not coming together for this full-on party meal. This is coming together as the church in unity, believers in Christ, who say we're all going to partake together. And it's not about me getting full or being satisfied or what kind of sourdough bread did you have? No, it wasn't that. It was coming together to reflect reverently on the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was in unity, together. So I would, I would say this, that as we do it in a worthy manner, it's the believers are doing that. One of the instructions we've given in our church often, and, and, and I've grown up with this for years and years, now, if you are not a believer in Christ, this isn't for you. you, you it means nothing to you. The body and blood of Christ has not been established on your heart and in your soul through faith so it, it just is a grape juice and a piece of bread stale stale bread and and so I, I i want you to understand you're welcome here but if you haven't expressed faith in christ this is an opportunity for you to watch us proclaim his death and our faith in him because this is a proclamation we'll get to that in our third point 
That's what this is. So it, it's, there's no judgment on you from us when you say, I'm not a believer, I'm not going to partake, but I'm going to watch. But I would say there is judgment on you from God if you decide to partake and you aren't a believer because he says there's judgment to be had for taking it in an unworthy manner. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to throw a caveat into this. I'm going to throw a little, little maybe grenade into our system of thinking because I think it's important for us to think through and look through this. If we were to go back to the Passover at Israel, right? Um, you had Israel. And we see in, in Romans, we see in other places in the Scripture that not all of Israel was Israel. Like all of the people who God brought out of, the, out of Egypt and into the land didn't end up being actually his people. A lot of them rebelled and went away and never believed. But while they were in the covenant family Israel, every one of them participated in the feasts in your household. So there is a, a caveat to this that we, you and I, as believers, are partaking in the Lord's Supper. And if you are here today and you're not part of the family of God and you're not under, under a covenant family relationship with others in this, in this community, then, then it's not for you. But I will, I want to permit, not instruct, because I, let me give you a scenario here. And this has actually been brought up recently in our elders meeting as we've been talking about this. Do you think that there were some kids in the families of Israel underneath the doorpost of the blood that did not partake in the meal? Say no. No. Right? The, Israel did that. It was a family heritage. It was a covenant heritage. And so I, I think that in this room, there are probably parents who love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they, they're raising their children up in faith hoping and praying one day they grab on to the Lord Jesus with their own personal faith. But until that day comes, we as parents bring them to church, take them to Sunday school, read the Bible to them, pray over them, pray with them, teach them how to pray, teach them how to memorize Scripture. Because we are a covenant family of God, and that's, what, that's where we're raising our kids. So I would, not, I would not tell you, parents, in a covenant family like that, to absolutely withhold the Lord's Supper from those children that may, may not have expressed faith in Christ yet. I don't know, it kind of ruffles feathers, doesn't it? But Israel participated as a family. What I would tell you is it is your responsibility and my responsibility as parents who have trusted Christ as Savior, who have come into a covenant family and relationship with Christ, to be absolutely reflective and reverent in the way we teach it to our children and show it to our children. It cannot be something that is done flippantly with our children. Now for me, I, my, my wife and I, we, as we raised our kids, our kids did not partake. We were able to still teach them and show them and let them see what we did. And it was tough, you know, walking up the aisle here with our kids and my wife and I taking the cups. But no, no, you may not. But we, we went back to our seat and we sat down and we talked about what it meant and reflected on this is what this is. And when you have a personal relationship with Christ, this is gonna, that's how we did it. And I felt fine about that. Whatever it is, teaching our children is super important in that. And we realize that the more we love God and teach the Word of God, or as our church family grows, we have more and more children, more and more teenagers, more that are here and a part of this. I would say if you're at the age where you, you understand you're not a believer, just, just let it go by. But if we have children that are in our covenant families, and they're here, and, and it's your desire, parents, to have them partake in communion as a covenant part of the family of God, hoping and praying they understand and realize what that is, and one day will grab onto a faith of their own, I think that we are in good company with Israel as well. 
But if we are in the knowledge and, and we understand we are not believers and that this is not for us, we ought to watch. We ought to, we ought to pass it on. Okay, I'll, I'll bring that up. So it's unity. There's unity that believers are doing this. But then part of it is also a, a worthy manner is selflessness. Selflessness. It, it, it should be noted that selflessness includes proper reverence. That when you and I partake in unity together, I am very much aware that my actions, my attitudes, my, my interactions with, on my pew or in my chair, wherever I am, are being watched and observed by others. The last thing I want to do for you is to be a distraction during the Lord's table. So I hope the last thing that you would want to do for me is to be a distraction away from the Lord's table. Because that, I, I guarantee you, Satan, when we start to partake, Satan is going to want to distract all of us away from the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. He is willing to want us to partake in an unworthy way, in just a religious, flippant way that doesn't really reflect any reverence towards Jesus Christ. So watch that in ourselves. That's, that's the way we can be selfless, not to, to be, be aware of what other people are may, maybe struggling with, whether I have kids playing here or not, or whether I'm talking to my neighbor, a little, I, and I probably shouldn't be. To be reverent about that and reflective about that is important. You see, and here's where it comes from. If, if we have understood how he loves us, and if we have done the proper self-reflection in our heart, this should lead us to a very seriousness of purpose. Right? We should have a seriousness of purpose come right out of that. Wow, look how Jesus is loved. Wow, I am a sinner separated from God, but I need him and I'm helpless. So I, yes, I'm going to reverently reflect and partake in the Lord's Supper today. It should naturally come from that. Verse 33, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together, that's at unity, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. I think this is, this is not only about incorporating, but being aware of your brothers and sisters. If anyone's hungry, you should eat at home so that, that when you are together, you will not come under judgment. I hope you weren't planning on having lunch through the Lord's Supper today. A worthy manner is self-reflective. A worthy manner is being in unity with the body of Christ, the believers. And a worthy manner is to be selfless and as, as we reflect and reverent with those around us. Finally, final instruction on partaking of the Lord's Supper. Number three, we partake by faith, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We proclaim by faith. 1 Corinthians 11, 26, For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is not a private thing. This is a public thing we do together. And there are people here who don't know Jesus, and that is okay. But as we participate and partake together, we are proclaiming the Lord, and we are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. We proclaim him. But it is by faith that we proclaim. It is by faith we partake. Just listen, as we walk down the aisle, or as we are served today in our pews, and we partake of the Lord's table, we are not saying, oh man, this, this, this grape juice and stale bread is going to do something. What it's going to do is as you approach the Lord's table in faith, knowing what he has done for you, remembering how much he's forgiven you, it is going to feed your soul and multiply grace upon grace to you. But this, this juice and this bread does nothing. It doesn't forgive your sin. Jesus forgave your sin when you turn to him in faith. This is a symbol showing that we remember what he has done. And as often as you eat it, you proclaim his death. You proclaim the gospel. 
Why? Why should it be a proclamation? Because what Jesus did is good news. Amen? What Jesus did is good news. Romans 1.16, Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? We are to be a people. You and I are to be a people as we partake in the Lord's Supper that are not ashamed of the gospel. We are not ashamed to proclaim that He has forgiven us, that He has offered His body and His blood for us, that we can have forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. We are not ashamed of the gospel. Why are we not ashamed of the gospel? Because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. That is amazing. And it goes on, in it, in the gospel, in this amazing message, uh, in it, the righteousness of God is being revealed from faith. That is this, that my righteousness is like filthy rags, but in, by faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is imputed to me and I'm wrapped up in his righteousness and it's given to me by faith in Christ, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So we don't come here thinking, I need to get more righteous. We don't come here thinking, man, I've got, some, I've got some, some baggage that needs to be taken care of. If I take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to be good to go. That is not how we approach it. We approach saying, God has imputed his righteousness to me. I am no longer a sinner. I am no, I'm, no, I'm no longer uh, accountable to my sin. God has died on the cross for that. I am coming here acknowledging that, and I come here by faith acknowledging he is righteous and he has made me righteous. Not the juice, not the cracker, but Jesus Christ and his body and blood given for you the righteous, those who are made righteous, will, by faith, live by faith. What are we proclaiming? It's the last verse I want to read today. You want to turn with me into John chapter 6? What are we proclaiming? I think we're proclaiming what Jesus proclaimed. That's what I want to do. Don't you agree? I want to proclaim what Jesus proclaimed about himself. John 6, beginning in verse 35. What do we proclaim? Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus proclaimed. I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. As I told you, you've seen me, yet you do not believe Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those that he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. There is promise here. There is nourishment from Jesus Christ. He goes on, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Hallelujah. That's, that's the promise of God. That's, that's what we proclaim. We proclaim that we have put our faith in Jesus as the bread of life. We have put our faith in him for, for forgiveness. We put our faith in him uh, for, for assurance, knowing that, that my salvation is not dependent on me. My salvation is dependent on the Lord Jesus and that he has promised through faith in him that he will raise me up on the last day, that he will hold me. No one that comes to the Father uh, will be cast out by Jesus. No one will be cast out. He will not lose one. So if you come to the table saying, well, I've, I've really screwed up this week. I've really messed up. I, I had faith at some point. I knew Jesus and I, it was real, but I, I've really messed up. So I'm going to come partake so I can be right with God again. That is not what this is about. 
This is about proclaiming that you are right with God, whether you feel it or not. You are right if you have put faith in Jesus Christ as, as a forgiver of your sins. You are right. and, and listen, there are plenty of times Satan is going to want to beat you up and, and shake you like a rag doll saying, you, you, you don't believe, you don't really know him. And, and you, should, you should kind of say, oh, maybe I don't. Should I, I should think about that. But if you know, if you put your faith in Jesus, if you've turned from yourself and turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ who gave himself his body and his blood and shed it for you, that you are forgiven. And because he raised from the dead, he has promised that he will raise you up as well on that day. That is the promise of God. And, and listen, that is, church, that is as we come gather together and partake of the Lord's Supper, that is what we proclaim. And it shouldn't stop here, should it? It should continue on. We proclaim this everywhere we go. As we walk out those doors, we proclaim the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, Today we remember and we partake. Amen? Now, uh, like last time, I'm going to invite the children to come back in. And, and, and let's try to be reverent. Let's try to have them get to our seats with us. Let's, let's make this a time of, of instruction with them as well. We're going to invite our children to come back in. We invite the worship team to come back up uh, and get ready to, uh, to, to lead us in song and reflection. But as we do that, I, I want you to understand how this is going to look and how this is going to go. I'm gonna, in a minute, I'll have our guys who are serving the Lord's Supper. They'll come... They'll come forward and, and we'll all get together. Uh, we're going to pray and the worship team will just be playing some music in the background. It's a time for you and I to be, be reflective, self-reflect, right? To think about how am I approaching the Lord's table? Am I approaching it in religion or am I approaching it in reflection and, re and remembrance and, re and reverence? And to get right in that, in that place. And maybe that time of reflection is for you as an unbeliever saying, I, 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 don't, I haven't believed. I need to believe in the Lord Jesus. I, this is amazing. I, I, what, this, what this symbolism means is all about Jesus and his, his righteousness that's available for me. Then believe on the Lord Jesus. Call out to him. Pray and say, God, I, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to forgive me. I want to know you and, and I want to be righteous because of you. And he will forgive you. And so as our, as our worship team comes back up, you guys can come on back up. I think our, our children out there yet? Maybe not. It's, it's hard, right? We made that awkward time. This is going to be that awkward time where our kids come back in and we're not quite singing yet and we're not quite there. I know they're getting them. It, it's, it's interesting being a part of a family of God like this, isn't it? Yeah, I think sometimes we go to a church thinking, I, well, I've got to, well, we're going to sit a certain way and talk a certain way and look a certain way and act a certain way because that's how we've done it forever. But realizing, I mean, think about how messy church was to the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Think of how, how, how hard that might have been to rally all those kids together and to, to keep them occupied and to, at the same time teach them the things of God. Here they come. They're going to join us here in the pew. And then uh, I'm going to go ahead and let's have our, um, those who will be uh, passing out the Lord's Supper, I've asked if you would come forward, please, too, at this time. So as we go, we, they're double cupped and they're going to just go down the aisle. I would ask this, that it be a reflective time it not be a time of conversation with your neighbor. I think I'd like the lights down a little bit just to be thinking about your own thing, what's going on there with you and Jesus or you and your family. Right? And, and it, like I said, the, how do we partake in this? Right? Re -re Reflective, remembering the Lord Jesus. It's so important for us to do that. Right? In, in, a, in, a, in a worthy manner that's, that's self-reflective, that's in unity, that's selfless. That's how we partake in the Lord's Supper. And we do it as a proclamation saying, I, I'm not coming here for forgiveness. I'm not coming here to, to straighten up my act. I am coming here because Jesus Christ forgave me. And I'm going to proclaim that to my brothers and sisters and to the world that I love them. Go ahead and start our, our music there and we'll pass out the elements.